0: Welcome to Pediatrics Now, cases, updates, and discussions for the busy practitioner. I'm your host, Holly Wayment. Today on Pediatrics Now, we're talking with sleep scientist Eric Prather, author of the new book, The Sleep Prescription, Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. Dr. Prather, thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I love your book. You're a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences and interim director of UCSF Center for Health and Community at the University of California, San Francisco. I was struck by how you say research shows when we get a good night's sleep, we're more empathetic. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think for a lot of people, it probably doesn't seem so surprising. I mean, we're, when we get the sleep we need, we're really kind of the best versions of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? And the and the, and the experimental literature really uh, supports that, right? Um, mm-hmm. When we get the sleep we need, you know, we have, we can take on kind of other people's problems, right? We, when, we di- when we're sleep restricted, we're sleep deprived, you know, it, we're really kind of in that fight or flight mode. We really need to kind of do everything we can just to kind of meet our general needs. Um, There was a study that came out uh, just this past year that focused on sleep and empathy. And this was done by uh, Eddie Ben Simon and Matt Walker at UC Berkeley. And what they found was that, you know, in the laboratory when they deprived people of sleep compared to a normal night of sleep, um, they they were less empathetic and through experimental tasks. But then when they looked in kind of at the population level, they found this really interesting finding. And I, I love the way that they do this work where they they looked at charitable donations on the day after daylight savings compared to other days um, and found that when we kind of spring forward, when we lose that hour of sleep, there are, are less charitable donations. And kind of pairing that with the experimental data suggests that you know, potentially one of the things that happens is like, when we don't get the sleep we need, we just, we can't think about others the same way, right? We're focused a lot on self. Just and that kind of can getting have, through it. Yeah, just trying getting through it and, and and kind of meeting our own needs. And also, uh, you know, in, in studies of couples, um, they find that when one of the, the partners doesn't get as much sleep as they typically get, um, it's really hard to see the other person's perspective in a conflict task right? We just, we have a trouble shifting our perspective um, to kind of that of the other. And obviously that has important implications for kind of how we work as a society, how we work with our patients, how we work with our loved ones. Um, We need that sleep because it really kind of greases the wheels in kind of how we work together um, as as humans.
0: And to your point, So a lot of our listeners, our pediatric practitioners, empathy is a big part of the job and they likely are working long hours taking care of lots of kids in their clinic and then their own children, perhaps, and spouse, families, all these other things piling up. What advice would you have for our pediatric practitioners where so often we're talking about, you know, it's important for kids to get sleep, of course, but, you know, in this high stress um, profession, what advice would you have?
1: Well, I mean, I, I first would would say, and this is probably just my bias and the the folks that I've kind of interacted with at UCSF, but, you know, pediatric providers are probably the most empathetic people I've ever met. And you can always <laughs> kind nice. of just kind of pick them out, you know? Uh, right, so and, nice. And, and they're so nice and so wonderful. And so probably there's some selection there and and maybe have a little bit more in the tank than than the rest of us. But, you know, that being said, you know, obviously, when we don't get the sleep we need, it's, it's diminished. And so I, I think that, you know, there are obviously policy things that kind of drive um, kind of sleep opportunity. And this is certainly true for uh, medical providers um, and the shifts that they have to take on. But, you know, outside of those policies, um, there are opportunities to protect sleep, um, I think one of the things that I, I try to kind of make the point in that book, but also in our clinic, I help kind of run an insomnia clinic at UCSF, um, is that, you know, sleep often tends to be the last thing on our list when, you know, to take care of because we want to get, you know, take care of all the other things that are going on in our lives and, and often don't appreciate the investment that sleep is for the following day or the following week. Um, and and I think it's really important to schedule that protected time, and not just for sleep, but for winding down, for taking care of yourself, for managing stress, because all of these things are interconnected. Um, and and sleep can certainly benefit, but also you know our patients will benefit um, from us taking our sleep uh, really seriously.
0: And in med school and residency. Lack of sleep is expected, it seems, and may even be seen as a badge of honor, um, a necessary part of the job. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Because I, I think you bring up a, a great point, and you talk about in the book where it's it's just as important as food and water, exercise.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, i mean, you know, and it, it that is it's it's really challenging um, from a policy perspective on on how to better ensure that med students and and residents and and fellows get adequate amounts of sleep Um, you know there have certainly been some strides around scheduling and and kind of hours uh, expected over time but certainly um you know there is a perspective at, at some institutions among some uh you know supervisors or attendings where uh, you know, sleep, it, sleep loss is part of the job. It's to be expected. It's a kind of a rite of passage. Um, my hope is that over, the, I mean, I would say like over the last I don't know, decade, there's been, a, you know, somewhat of a, a a shift in the way that we think about sleep. I mean, people talk about it a lot more. Um, some of this is because we're learning so much about how it impacts our health and not just, you know, we don't feel good, but kind of looking down at the cellular level or, Kind of other things that 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 matter to the larger kind of medical uh, fields, um, and so my hope is that the there is a, a change in the way that we think about this. But I mean, you can obviously it's it's um, you know a problem in all domains. I mean, we think about the sleep of our patients when they're in the hospital, right? We can't seem to figure that part out, um, right. and so you know, and when when the people that we're serving are at a disadvantage. Um, it's not surprising that our our physicians are also at a disadvantage. So we have a lot way a long way to go. But I I do I am optimistic um, that we're moving in the right direction.
0: Well, I feel so lucky to be able to be here and and be having this conversation with you. You you recently were on the front page of the New York Times for your book, and I love your dedication. You say quote This book is dedicated to my wife Michelle and my two boys Spencer and Jackson. You may disturb my sleep at times but you also give me confidence to dream. I think that's really beautiful. And it's kind of, you know, I think, are you saying it's, it's not perfect. We're, you know, kind of the message, we all have busy lives and it's okay. And I know you stress this in the book, sometimes when we don't get a good night's sleep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, like the reality is that Like, like like we all have our challenges right like life is hard we have to we're all doing our best um and it's a it's a really interesting um issue around kind of worrying about your sleep um you know i i deal with a lot of people with insomnia and um oftentimes you know the worry about the fact that they're not getting the sleep they need is the thing that's causing their insomnia right Um, i've been there yeah, <laughs> Right, right. And I mean, you know, and it, and it's understandable. And some of it is it's, you know, I'm at this weird intersection where a lot of the time that I spend is on research, kind of focusing on what happens when we don't get enough sleep, right? But then a patient will bring that very work into my office and be like, look, like, look, if I don't sleep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get, you know, COVID, or I'm gonna get heart disease, or I'm gonna get Alzheimer's. and And it really requires kind of like, okay, like, you know, those you know at the population level like there does seem to be a signal there but there's a lot of things that we can do and and honestly we're kind of built for this i mean you know i have a couple of kids i'm sure lots of people here on the on, listening to this have have kids and like like my yes. sleep has never been great ever since that right like it's and right, and partly is <laughs> like we're kind of built to be resilient to this um and and the distress and the effort about trying to make sleep happen is actually kind of often undermines allowing it to happen naturally. I always say that like sleep is something that you never even wonder about how it works until it stops. And then we become hyper focused in trying to understand how to get it back on track. And it's it was never something that we make happen. Like it happens to us. I mean the good news is that the sleep science has provided some very clear strategies to kind of help your body do what it's supposed to do. Right. To and 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 a lot of what is discussed in the book and what we do in clinic is around, uh, it is cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. And those behavioral strategies are really to try to take some of the mental effort out because, you know, when people have bad sleep, it feels really unpredictable and that can be scary. But that anxiety that develops over time is actually kind of getting in the way of allowing sleep to happen naturally.
0: And I think that's really freeing. Um, It's really helped me after reading your book, I know one of your major points, may I read a a page, page 81 from your book, Um, a few sentences, if that's okay with you? Sure, sure. Uh, You say, so this is one of the strategies you just referenced, I think, put it in the parking lot. The best time to get ahead of worry and rumination is during the day before the sun even starts to set. There's no magical switch to completely turn off rumination. You have a human brain, and it's part of its job to consolidate information and build new synapses by dredging up moments from your day, memories from your past, stuff that upsets you and so forth. Your brain has a pretty good reason for doing most of what it does. It just gets off track. Can you tell us more about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think one of the really unfortunate things is when we wake up in the middle of the night, um, you know, it's our brain doesn't Kind of fill that space with like all the positive things that have happened in our day or what's best of our lives Um, it's often kind of these other things these worries these ruminations these um, concerns sometimes about what's happening tomorrow sometimes about the fact that you're not sleeping Um, but you know our brain is really active in the middle of the night Um, you know sleep plays an important role in um, consolidating memories Uh, in some cases kind of trying to kind of uh, disassociate some of the emotions that we experience in events with the kind of the factual information. And so our brain is incredibly active and sleep plays an important role in that. But, you know, we we have a tendency to kind of when we're awake, and especially when we have stress on board, like, you know, something's going on in your life, um, you know, for it to really trigger that experience and to kind of fill that space with all of these worries. And so but, I mean, there are, thankfully, some preventative strategies. Um, it's very natural to have an active mind. But we need to kind of, there's a time and place for it, right? I mean, the, the truth is that in the middle of the night, we're just, like, not at our best. Like, cognitively, emotionally, um, you know, we're, we're not in a position to be solving these sorts of problems. And, and, in fact, many of the things that come up are, like, not even solvable, right? Or certainly right. not in the short term. And, and so, you know, one of the, the strategies in this book is to actually, um, you know, schedule in a time for that, right? And so it's called scheduled worry. It's something that, you know, is routinely done in cognitive behavioral therapy for lots of things, but including for insomnia, where you actually schedule in time in your day to kind of do this worrying, right? And, and it has to be very intentional, it can't be, oh, you know, if I have a spare moment, it's like, no, put it in your schedule. And, you know, for 15 minutes, you sit there and you either write it down, you just think it through, but it's timed. And so when 15 minutes is up, you're like, okay, I'm done doing it. I did it for the day. And you try to compartmentalize this so that if it does come up in the middle of the night, and obviously sometimes it will, um, you can say, look, I I already thought about this today when I was in kind of in a better space and I have it scheduled for tomorrow. So I can kind of let that go. And as people make a habit of that, it actually can be really helpful and freeing in that, in kind of the darkness of the night where our brain might be a little bit more active than we'd like.
0: Yes. And you think about, oh, I already worried about that. (laughs) So I'll just put it aside on the cloud.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, in some instances, self-talk, right? But it's also kind of the permission that you can have for yourself that like, okay, I, I did this. I and 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 you know also in the book is about the there's other this other strategy called constructive worry so if there's something that you can you're working on solving you can actually kind of spend time kind of identifying the first couple steps to solving that problem and and there is like some ritual to it that i it seems very powerful that you know people will kind of list out their problem kind of write down the first couple steps and then they'll on a piece of paper and then they'll kind of fold it up and the ritual is saying like folding it up and saying, you know, okay, I have listed out the ways in which we're gonna approach this and then they put it by their bedside and so that they wake up in the middle of the night, they can just look over and be like, look, a physical proof, I've already worked on this problem and I know what I need to do tomorrow. And and that that also, that behavior can help people let go and sleep is really about letting go, right? It's like, it's the absence of doing. And, and, love, and
0: yeah, it comes to us. That's what you yeah. say too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Exactly. It kind of like washes over us, right? And so mysterious. Um, but uh, but you know, obviously so um fundamental to our being.
0: Yes. And it's you know, it's really mysterious if you're the expert and you're saying it's mysterious. <laughs>
1: so. Well, I mean, you know, and it's, it's job security, right? Like it's like <laughs> like there is so much we don't understand about sleep. It's like, we don't, we don't really have a great handle on like why. And I mean, and I think it's probably for lots and lots of different things, but you know, certainly the most kind of uh, the, you know, the biggest advance that we've made most recently is it's, it's impact on kind of clearance in the brain. Right. And, and so, you know, maybe that is one of the the real reasons that we need to sleep because we need to clear out um, junk out of our brain that builds up throughout the day. But, you know, obviously, it, it serves so many functions. Um, you know, it, in some ways, it doesn't matter exactly why, uh, because it probably is just, you know, part of our lived experience. That's, it's just, uh, it's, it's like some people say, uh, we live to sleep, or we sleep to live. It's like, it's just, you know, it's so tied together.
0: Well, so, so for our listeners, what would be the number one thing is, is it that waking up at the same time every day, not sleeping in on the weekends or when you have a day off? Or what would you say?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, so I get, I get this question all the time. And I mean, I think if there was one one thing that people could do, um, it really is that. So, um, and, and, I, and I'll, I'll explain why. So uh, waking up at the same time each day is actually really important for entraining in your internal clock so, so we have two things that regulate our sleep, our internal clock or our circadian rhythm, and what's called our homeostatic sleep drive, which I which I kind of use the analogy of like a balloon that like fills up with sleepiness throughout the day. So it starts, you wake up, it's flat, it fills up with sleepiness throughout the day, then it gets to like an optimal amount, and you feel those sleepiness cues, you go to sleep, and it kind of like drains that sleepiness out again. Um, waking up at the same time each day both kind of helps entrain that internal clock so that it's consistent, like your body knows where it is in time and space, um, and you know, your rhythms, your circadian rhythms kind of that are in your cells and in your organs, and uh, you know, just work more effectively and efficiently, but also it anchors when that balloon starts filling up. Right. And so it actually plays an important role in both aspects of what regulates our sleep. And and it's distinctly different than saying, you know, having a kind of consistent bedtime, right? And a consistent bedtime is really important, but it's really, that would really be a function of like your balloon filling up. Like if you wake up at the same time each day, your balloon will tend to be full around the same time each night, making you sleepy around the same time each night. But with people that have insomnia or you know or just have difficulties with sleeping and it, it, kind of causes them some anxiety, giving them a, a prescribed bedtime can actually be really distressing right? You just imagine someone who has insomnia. Your sleep doctor is like, okay, we well, have to be in bed by 11 o'clock. You need to go to sleep at that time. And then, you know, 1045, they aren't sleepy. They start to get anxious. 1050, 1055. And by, the, you know, by 11 o'clock, they're like having a panic about the fact that they're not sleeping and what does this mean for them? And it really can spiral out of control. And we can't, we can't control when we fall asleep. That's the whole idea of it coming to you. But we can control when we wake up. And so making that a consistent anchor for your body is actually really powerful um, for uh, keeping your sleep on track.
0: I think that's great advice. I, I love also how you talk about how you love coffee and um, you <laughs> you explain scientifically at what hour pretty much in the afternoon, if you're still drinking caffeine, what that means for your sleep. And you sometimes pour coffee out, and I've I've been doing that now, too, and it's really helpful, but I think that just brings it, you know, it's more realistic. Like, Of course, we know if we're drinking coffee late in the afternoon, it'll probably keep us up, but the way you put it, it's really helpful.
1: Yeah, you know, I, it's so funny right before this interview. So for those who are listening, it's 12.25 p.m., on a friday and i was just like oh should i have another cup of coffee and then i was like ah you know that's not good look for this for this uh for this uh discussion <laughs> but uh, but yeah i mean you know it has a half-life about six hours right so if you have a a, a double espresso at at 4 p.m that means at 10 p.m you still have a single espresso in your system and i think you know that can be really powerful for some people you know it doesn't seem to bother them there's definitely differences in like how it's metabolized and and things like that, but you know, all the things that we lay out to try to improve people's sleep around scheduling, around you know, not spending excess time in bed, all this other stuff, you know, it really goes out the window if you have all of this caffeine on board or any kind of substance that affects your brain that impacts your sleep system. And it's an it's an easy fix, but it's it's certainly um, one to take really seriously.
0: And um, it not only you know say perhaps we could fall asleep, but it might not be that restful. Sp- Sleep that's really clearing our brain if we do have that caffeine in our system is that right what you're saying
1: yeah i mean sometimes right so like the homeostatic sleep drive right this balloon can override uh caffeine at a low level you know and it, it definitely varies by person but it, you know in beyond that it actually can change the structure of your sleep right so it can be and the same is true for alcohol um, you know, which it can help you fall asleep, but then obviously changes the structure of your sleep and can make it kind of lighter, less restorative. Um, and so, you know, though it, it kind of certainly caffeine is a, a great drug for ensuring alertness, um, you know, it, it it can have some, some nasty consequences um, that will leave you reeling the following day, right? Then you can get into the cycle of needing more caffeine and And that, and so, you know, this might be a really important intervention point for some folks.
0: So, and you recommended the book some alternatives to caffeine in the afternoon. (laughs) So we should stick our heads in the freezer for a few seconds. Tell me about that.
1: That's how you get on the New York Times front page. (laughs) That's what I learned through this whole process. I know, Uh, I think that
0: was part of the headline.
1: (laughs) That was was the headline. Uh, Yeah, so, uh, well, I mean, I think, you know we want to enhance alertness without kind of increasing uh, our caffeine use or substance use and and so you know in my lab one of the the research areas that we look at is something called hermetic stress and so this is like a, a you know stressors that uh, can actually try to build resist resilience but actually amplify your your sympathetic nervous system activity um, and so you know one of the things that uh, people have probably heard about is it. like you know like a polar plunge right? Uh, you know that absolutely is alerting like you get in a, a bucket of cold water that's that's absolutely alerting for you and um, and can amplify that that sympathetic nervous system activity and and uh, and so you know one you know way if you don't have a, a plunge pool uh, might be kind of putting your head in the freezer right getting that cold exposure is alerting in itself. but of course uh, that is uh, a little bit of a, a novel, way, you know, probably one that is uh more readily available is um, kind of vigorous exercise, kind of brisk walk outside, getting your heart pumping. Any, you know, we we've run studies where we've compared kind of uh different types of exercises and, you know, and on on kind of our nervous system. And all of those can be helpful as long as it gets you moving um and it doesn't require a freezer and can probably have other helpful benefits uh and and can get you through without that extra cup of caffeine,
0: and like you touched on, it's not a good idea to have a glass of wine or a beer to wind down before bed. It's actually causing more of an issue with sleep,
1: well, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I hate to be the fun police here. And so it's it's not it's not that it's uh, I, I think it's just it's knowing what the consequences are, right? Like the knowledge around like what is happening, right? Because some people don't appreciate. Um, what the consequences during the night could be. So, um, you know, alcohol is soporific. It absolutely can help people wind down, right? It, it kind of hits on those GABA receptors that bring on the feeling of relaxation. Um, but alcohol doesn't stay in your system throughout the whole night. And so one of the challenges is that as it, it's no longer activating those GABA receptors in your brain, your brain notices right? Mm-hmm. And it can have this rebound of alertness. Um, but also, it, it, it alcohol impacts our, our sleep architecture. And so um, you know it, it, it suppresses REM sleep. And so we ultimately get kind of a bigger dose of slow wave sleep, deep sleep earlier in the night than we w- otherwise would. And then you get this rebound of, of REM activity. And that actually leads to more fragmentation and just changes the experience of sleep. So, that it feels less restorative. And so, you know, if people have a a glass of wine or a beer or whatever with dinner, that's probably from a sleep perspective fine. It's more when it's really close to bedtime or if it's at a higher quantity than otherwise should be where it, it, it can impact this and it's just about knowing that this is going to happen um and kind of making those choices right uh you know like there's lots of things that we do in our in our lives that may not be the best for us but it's at a you know you 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 do it for the the experience um for the pleasure and i think it's all in moderation and just kind of being a educated consumer um and appreciating how important sleep can be because it has such a return on investment during your day um, that it's probably well worth it to um, kind of put the alcohol aside, get a good night's sleep, and be your best self in the morning.
0: Keep it early or keep it light. I think that's one thing you say. And we aren't computers. We can't shut down right away and go, go to sleep. That's another major point you make in the book.
1: Yeah. I mean, it would be great if we were. Uh, in some ways, and who knows, technology these days, we might become one. But for 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 right now, uh, yeah, I you know I think we're all used to this idea that we just kind of like close the lid on our laptop and it's it's done. I you know our brains take need that transition time. We need to kind of allow ourselves to wind down, and so I think it's really important and something that kind of everyone can practice to to kind of have a timer for when they turn the page or close the book on the day whatever uh metaphor you want to use and and it's it's just about kind of allowing yourself to make that transition um and so you know there's lots of things that people do already in their lives that you can take advantage of i mean i think you know sleep that that experience of letting go is is really a consequence of the environmental cues that your body has that it, this transition is taking place, right? So some people brush their teeth and get their pajamas on or like do some stretching or like, just like veg out on the couch and watch uh, television with their loved ones. You know, the the more that those are paired with sleep, kind of the the more they become rituals and, and environmental uh, sensory information that tells your brain that it's it needs to start winding down. Um, and, you know, the more that you keep those consistent, the more that you provide adequate time, we say like an hour, ideally at least, um, for this wind-down period, um, and that you're not engaging in activities that are stimulating your brain. Like, don't sit on the couch, you know, watching television with your loved ones and checking your work email, right? Like, that's, like, things that are triggering for you are going to be, you know, in competition or in conflict with this uh, experience of transition to, to. To reading yourself for sleep, and so the more you make those things consistent, the more you protect it, um, the better your sleep will will be, or it, it, at least it will increase the probability that you'll have a better night's sleep.
0: And that can be difficult to do—not check another email. But I've been after reading your book, I've been doing that, and it it really helps. And you have to be conscious about it.
1: I yeah, think. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's I mean I I think in a lot of ways it can be really freeing, right? Like yes. I think. You know one of the interesting things that's developed over time especially during the pandemic is this um you know uh, bedtime revenge procrastination concept where where people are uh you know staying up later than they otherwise would because they just don't have time for themselves right they use it as a way to kind of get back at the world so that they can do things that they really want to do and i think you know the autonomy around our time is is really uh, a, a big a big issue, probably one for like a much longer discussion, but, you know, it can impact our sleep. And I think by setting boundaries around, um, you know, our email engagement, thing, our work engagement, um, you know, the the grind culture that's out there um, and kind of doing something for yourself that is so, again, fundamental to our being, um, the better off that we all are. And I my, my hope is that, you know, you know, workplace policies will become more and more, um, engaged in this discussion because clearly there's a burnout problem. Clearly there's a, a workforce quiet quitting problem. I mean, it's, it, and, and I think a lot of it has to do about, um, kind of people feeling like the time is theirs or that they're, um, kind of have a purpose in this and people becoming more and more, uh appreciative of taking care of themselves and taking care of their health
0: and that burnout is so common in medicine as we know i i like how you talk about it's okay to watch a show if you you know if you want to do that rather than read but it shouldn't be something stressful i think you said you watched the office
1: (laughs) that's right (laughs) yes 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 Uh, yeah i mean you know like in that a lot of that comes out of like when i started first starting seeing people with uh insomnia I thought, oh well, obviously they should just read because when I read, it's like one page, and I'm like, oh my god, I can't keep my eyes open. I try to fall asleep, and but you know, (laughs) turns out you know some people are like voracious readers, and they're like, oh, you know, I I'm not sleeping any better, but I read three books this week, and and so that's that's not helpful, and and also I've like run into patients that I've had had met with other sleep medicine folks that are said, oh well, no, when you can't sleep, you should like sit in a dark room with your thoughts and just until you feel sleepy. And that isn't helpful either. And so I think having things that people can do that, um, you know, are, you know, I, I talk about, um, you know, activities that are kind of low arousal, but slightly positive. So not things that get you all amped up and excited, but certainly not things that make you anxious or stressed. And so, you know, probably staying away from social media is a good idea. I mean, you know, staying away from uh, content that I mean, the internet itself is basically, you know, it's an important tool, but a lot of the things that we surf on the internet are kind of developed to keep you engaged. And that's, that's really at odds with letting go and falling asleep. And so um, I found that, you know, when people watch say television with, uh, and it's content that they've, they've seen before. So the office is a great example where I've like watched it through so many different times and I don't, I know what happens like, but it like makes me calm and happy and um, but I don't need to wait to see what happens next um you know certainly it's not the time to to kind of binge watch a new netflix series or anything like that but you know things that just can help facilitate some calmness um you know distract your mind if you have a lot of things going on um, and 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 allow sleep to to come to you and then get in bed and and let it happen
0: and if possible don't do this from bed the reading or the watching the show
1: yeah that's that's correct uh, so I, yeah i should have said that so you know the we, you know we talked about kind of rituals and and kind of your sleep environment and the things that you do. but the bed itself is probably the the strongest environmental trigger we have to bring on sleepiness. I mean, people you know, may be sleepy when they uh, before they get in bed, but then they get in bed and it's like a hammer coming down that like allows you to fall asleep. And that's because your body knows what to do. Um this is for people that sleep well, right? And so you know, for people who sleep well, maybe the embed is such an important, strong trigger that you can read in bed or watch TV in bed, right? Like it won't matter. But if you're having trouble sleeping, um, that is something that you can absolutely, uh, is actionable. Um, you know, we want to make the bed have a strong, um, be a conditioned, a, you know, a conditioned stimulus for the experience of sleepiness. And so Um, You only want to do, you know, we say the bed is for sleep and sex, make it a a shrine to sleep. Um, And so that means don't do things that aren't sleep in in the bed, because uh, we really want to make that a really strong connection between the feeling of sleepiness and the bed so that it can bring on sleep.
0: This has been so insightful, Dr. Prather. Is there anything you want to add before we go for our maybe sleep-deprived, Pediatric practitioner, listeners.
1: You know, I mean, I I I like to think that you know we can all agree that sleep is so important. There are lots of things that we can do to try to get it back on track if it if it's problematic. Um, but if you know reading a book or like you know looking at things on the internet about sleep are not kind of getting you where you need to go, I, I really urge people to kind of reach out to their primary care physician uh, and and ideally to be paired up with. Um, like a, someone who does cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia before reaching for medications because medications for sleep, honestly, they it really just masks the problem. Um, and that's why when you stop taking them, your sleep gets worse again. Um, but uh, with cognitive behavioral therapy, people are provided the tools to help people get their sleep back on track and that when stressors reemerge, they have something to put in place to ensure that they don't kind of Uh, have a recurrence of insomnia.
0: And the commercials for sleeping pills are so convincing. It looks so easy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So blissful. Yes. But, but, uh, you know, and, 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 you know, like there's a place for them, right? I mean, maybe for travel for acute problems, but the challenge is that they um, often become, though not physiologically, you know, people don't become, you know, create a physiologic dependence. They're psychologically, uh, you know, it creates a dependence almost immediately. Uh, for some people and that's really hard to kick you know and and that and and you don't want people to kind of lose that confidence in their ability to sleep without them and that's often what happens
0: when actually that they could get maybe that same feeling by programming themselves not that we're computers but that when i when you get into bed i'm going to go to sleep rather than taking a pill to go to sleep
1: yeah i mean you know like it's i, I it does take work and i i will say that um you know, the, the sleep that people experience on some of these drugs is not it's not natural sleep. Right. Like it's like that experience is not the same as sleeping naturally. And and that that's hard because, you know, some people want to have that experience where they like close their eyes and like, you know, the world goes by for eight hours and they have no recollection and then they wake up and, and sleep is much more dynamic. And, and But I think we're learning more and more that kind of the natural version is what we should strive for. Um, because there may be long-term consequences to these medications.
0: Eric Prather, sleep scientist and author of the Sleep Prescription: Seven Days to Unlocking Your Best Rest. Thank you for sharing your scientific knowledge with us today on Pediatrics Now, and thank you for helping me get a better night's sleep. It's it's really <laughs> helped me as well.
1: well. So so great to talk to you, Holly.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Pediatrics Now. Click on the link for free credit if you're a practitioner. You can also email us with questions or episode ideas. That address is pediatricsnow at uthscsa.edu. We release a new episode every Friday. Pediatrics Now is produced by Nick Mary. I'm Holly Wayment. I hope you can join us for our next episode. Thanks for listening.